Oh, I'm just not myself, although I look the same. The portrait that I used to be is in a different frame. I feel this sudden strength, but I'm as helpless as a child. And you may see me grinning like it's going out of style. The things I used to treasure just get in the way. The people I once hated, I love them more each day. The frown I'm used to wearing has been turned upside down. Since Jesus came into my heart and turned my life around, He lives in me. He lives in me. He bought me with a price, now I no longer am my own. My life is His kingdom, my heart is His throne. He lives in me. He lives in me. The King of all heaven and earth is living in me. Now even when I'm tempted, good and evil are at war. The battle's getting longer than it's ever been before. Oh, I know where my strength lies, I can't do it on my own. Then I get reinforcements, cause I'm never left alone. He lives in me. He lives in me. He lives in me. He bought me with a price, now I no longer am my own. My life is His kingdom, my heart is His throne. He lives in me. He lives in me. The King of all heaven and earth is living in me. He lives in me. in me he bought me with a price now i no longer am my own my life is his kingdom my heart is his throne he lives in me he lives in me the king of all heaven and earth is living in me Yes, the King of all heaven and earth is living in me. To live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord if He's not living inside of you. But here's the key. Uh, if you've never been saved, He's not living in you, but He can be by the time this service is over. Because I'm glad it's a whosoever will gospel for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how you get God on the inside. You know what will make a difference in my life, difference in your life? You know what will take that frown away and put a smile on your face? It's when he gets to living on the inside. How in the world am I going to be the salt of the earth? How in the world am I going to be the lie of the world that God commands and challenges us to be if he's not living on the, uh, on the inside 
and he ought to be the king of our heart and the king of our life because he's done so much for us. Man, I live and I move. I have my being uh, because of him. I'm able to talk. I'm able to see. I'm able to hear. I'm able to have the family that I am to be where God's placed me at in my life strategically. It all belongs to him. All glory and honor and praise goes to the Lord, and he is worthy to be praised tonight. I'm just glad to, to testify, to tell you that he lives on the inside. Brian don't always do what Brian needs to do, but I'm glad he's living on the inside, and he guides us. Thank God he's my guide. Uh, he, he's the one that steers things, and boy, we'd be a whole lot better off if we just listened to his voice, wouldn't we? Oh, yes. Well, listen, Matthew chapter number 5. Y'all going to be a quiet bunch tonight. Matthew chapter 5, if you found your place, if you could stand with us in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to try my best to preach fast, and you listen fast. We'll get out of here fast again. Kids, thank you uh, for being in here uh, tonight. Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 again. Now, this is the what is referred to as a Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. There was nine times where the Lord said blessed, and that, that's happy, exceeding joy to the point of overflowing. I want to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. And above all, the Lord wants us to be blessed, but he's got to be on the inside. He's got to be living. He's got to be ruling. And uh, every aspect of our life, nothing taken away from me. You know, Lord, you can have this part of my life. You can have my, you can have my, my, my school life. You can have my business life. You can have my work life. Just stay out of my dating life. Stay out of my financial life. No, he wants a key to every area of our life. And if we'll give him that key willingly, he will make, a, I mean, an absolute difference in our lives. Notice in verse number 1, the Bible said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, here's the first one, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, that's where we hovered a little bit on Sunday morning. It has to do with our desire, and it has to do with our appetite. And if we'll hunger and we'll thirst after those righteous things, then we will be filled. Well, the same holds true. If you hunger and thirst after unrighteous things, oh, you'll, you'll be filled with that too, and everybody else will know, uh, know it that lives around you. But understand, look at verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last blessed in our text here, the ninth one of verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, man, who wants to put up with that? Who wants to deal with that? Well, it's inevitable for the child of God that, that's living a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. You're going to face some persecution what should we do should we pout absolutely not should we quit absolutely not what did God tell us through look at verse number 12 he said rejoice rejoice why should we rejoice well he tells us why rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you now let's pray father we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity, privilege, Lord, just to stand behind the sacred desk one more time to proclaim the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to articulate the message tonight. Lord, I confess I'm nothing. You're everything. You know every need that's in this building, in this auditorium, those that are listening by way of the live stream, the Facebook, the, the CD ministry, the telephone. God, I pray that you'd minister to hearts tonight. Help us to be what you've called us to be. And Lord, help us to expound these verses tonight. Lord, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. If you don't, please. 
please, Lord, you're going to have to because it'll be all in vain. Preach you meet every need above all. Save that sinner to sneer's tail. We'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise for what you do. If we ask these things in Jesus' name, all God's people see you. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated tonight. We've read these verses again, these 12 verses in Matthew chapter number 5. And I guess it'd be the second part of this thought that I dealt with on Sunday morning about lessons that guide our life. I mean, I need lessons even today. And we never get to that point where we, uh, we, we're, we're never, we never have a teachable moment because there's always areas of our life to improve. And these are some lessons uh, that will guide us. Now listen, the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of you do this, 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 and this, and then God will let you get into heaven. No, the only way an individual is going to go to heaven is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus still said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. But by me, always want that to be crystal clear. Doesn't matter if it's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. What was the early church preaching in Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 12? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What is that name? That is the lovely name of Jesus. So we just sang out of that red uh, a hymn book, What a Friend is Jesus. Man, think about the burdens he bears. Think about the guilt that he took from us. Think about all the shame and all the sin that we deserve. Think about the cross, man. Man, we deserve death. We deserved hell. Jesus took it all on the cross so we could go to a place called heaven one day. Man, he's worthy to be worshipped. I'll plug that again one more time. All that he's done for us, let's just think about salvation. That'd be enough, but he didn't stop right there. He continues to carry us through life. Think about his intercessory work. I mean, the reason I can pray, the reason that I can preach tonight, the reason I can have unction is because he lives in me. He makes intercession for me as you honor his word. He's going to help you. And man, I thank God for the blessings that he bestows on us every single day. But the Lord helps us in life. And these lessons, he helps us. And thank God for salvation. Watch this. Now, there's four areas. And if you listen on Sunday, I hit these a little bit. And we basically focused on verse number six. But there's, there's four things that really Jesus deals with our attitudes toward. Four things. And there's probably others. But this is sort of where the Lord sort of centered my heart for this hour. I think about he dealt with our attitude toward ourselves. Our attitude toward our sin, our attitude toward our Savior, and then our attitude towards society. Now, in every aspect of life, if you if you latch on to this, whether you're young and whether you're old, it'll help you in your Christian life. Now, the key again is for Him to live inside of you. If you're not saved, that's your greatest need. And I just forget anything else. You just need to come to Christ and receive Him as Savior. Thank God He'll He'll forgive you, not just part of your sin, but all of your sin. Then He can live inside of you, and then you can make a positive difference. Own society, and every one of us is making a difference wherever we are. It might be positive, it might be negative, but every one of us in the workplace, in the home, even at the house of God, we're either making a positive impact or we're making a negative impact. And a lot of it hinges on these lessons that guide our lives. I, I remember, uh, and, and again, I used to coach, I miss that sometimes, and uh, the hunter safety team, I never will forget this. Now, Garrett, where's he? Is he back there in the back? Yeah, he's sitting over here. Well, Garrett was involved on this too, uh, but he had already been in the program a couple years, and we had some sixth graders that come up, or actually there's fifth graders at the time, and uh, and we had, we had trained them and sent them through, and I mean, they were shooting different things, and, and the, first, the first thing that they got to do, we had a little scrimmage up in Elkin. 
And uh, Sister Janet, all those guys, they were pumped up. I mean, little old bitty fellas. We had one guy, used to call him Tiny. He's been here before, but he ain't tiny anymore. He's still like a little bean pole. He's like a little string bean. But uh, he's pretty tall. Now, he's just a little old bitty fella. And uh, those guys were shooting that day, and it was the first competition they really had. And, uh, man, they fell apart. I mean, they blew, I mean, they blew it. it. It was terrible. I mean, they shot horrible. And what, I mean, I forget about the scores. It was over our consultum. And I seen them. They were broken down. They, they wanted to do better than they did. And they, they had talent, but the pressure got to them. But I watched those same kids two years later march up to Mansfield, Pennsylvania and bring a national championship back to Forbush uh, down East Bend, North Carolina. And those same guys, but you know what they did? It was a day-by-day process of getting a little bit better. They were working on their weaknesses, whether it was their side alignment, whether it was their trigger squeeze, whether it was their follow-through, and their book work and their schoolwork, their compass. They continued to work and continued to labor, and they got better in the areas where they were lacking. Well, the same holds true, really, in the spiritual life. Now, we can't do anything apart from Christ, what Jesus said in John 15, 5. Uh, he said, without me, you can do nothing. And that's exactly right. We better figure that out as preachers and as singers and as teachers and as any kind of leadership, whatever you do, whether witness in the hand of the gospel, we better make sure we understand that we cannot do anything apart from Him. But it's practice. It's sort of like many of you remember Arnold Palmer, now some of the young, some young kids don't know, but at one time he was winning all of, you know, it seemed like that goes in stages. Tiger Woods there for a while, he was winning everything. I don't know who's winning uh, golf now. Brother Carson could probably tell us, but I ain't got a clue. But I remember Arnold Palmer made this statement. I was reading an article one day, Brother Bradley, and this is what he said. Somebody said, well, boy, you winning all these tournaments. You sure are lucky. And this is what Arnold Palmer said. He said, yeah. And he said, the more I practice, the luckier I am. The more I practice, the luckier I am. What we're going to look at tonight, the more we work on those weaknesses, and yeah, you're going to stumble along the way, but Him living on the inside of you, and and we're to be growing in grace and knowledge. We're to be shooting high for, for that high goal. And as we do, the Lord will help us in these areas in which we live in relationship to ourself, in relationship to our sin. In relationship to our Savior and in relationship to society, whether you're in the school uh, setting or whether you're in the home setting or whether you're in the work setting or, or the shopping uh, set, wherever you're at, these areas are areas that God has called us to be salt and light. And we won't even get to that tonight. But I want you to notice how we, what's the attitude we should have toward ourselves. Now this blows the, the lid off a lot of folks right here. But notice what the Lord said, the first thing in verse number 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember the requirement and then the reward. Now, all of the first seven of these, there was a requirement and there was a reward. What was the requirement? To be poor in spirit. What is the reward? Well, the Bible said there, verse number 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the requirement in verse 4? Blessed are they that mourn. What's the reward? For they shall be comforted. It goes all the way down through there. The first seven Beatitudes where he says blessed. There's a requirement and then there is a reward. Well, this first one has to do with ourself being poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means this, not to be high-minded, not to be lifted up. Amen. Think about this. It, 
we ought to have a, I guess you could put it this way, we ought to have a correct estimate of ourself. <laughs> that makes sense. We ought to have a correct estimate of ourselves. Somebody say, well, man, the preacher's just always, always down on self-esteem. Man, listen, we got to understand we're nothing apart from him. When we look at ourselves, we ought to be poor in spirit. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times, whether you like it or not, this is a fact. We know what the Bible said over there in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 16, whatever verse that is, um, where it says, the Lord looketh on the heart. And that's right. That, that's, a, that's the truth. But the Bible said man looks on the outward appearance. And that's true, too. You can't change that. Every one of us do that. You'll look and you'll pass judgment on folks. You say, oh, I wouldn't ever do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Somebody show up at your door with a black hoodie on and you can't see their face and, they're, and they got something in their hand they're knocking on the door. Are you going to let them in? No, if you don't know who that is. Some of you might say, oh, yeah, I'd let them in. Well, you're crazy. Why? Because you're going to pass judgment. You might say, man, they're, they're up to no good. They need to take that hood off so I can see who that is. But what I say, that simple thing for us to understand, that we look at folks and we'll pass judgment. And this is what we'll do. I'm better than he is. I'm better than she is. <laughs> well, the bottom line is this. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be in a ditch. And we ought to have a correct estimate of ourselves. That, man, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. If you're saved, you're a sinner saved by the grace of God. But we ought to have that correct estimate of ourselves and be poor in spirit. Listen to what the Bible said in the book of Romans, chapter number 12, verse number 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not, listen now, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Somebody said, well, man, how, you, how do you know somebody uh, is, is, is rich in spirit? Just ask them. They'll tell you. Hey, man, just talk to them a little while. It'll be all about me, myself, and I, never about others. We ought to be poor in spirit, a correct estimate of ourselves. Why is that? Well, that's the requirement to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of these kids, I guarantee you, They've, they've dealt with bullies in school. There's been bullies, I'm sure, that think they're better than others. Now, how many of you, I mean, how many of you kids dealt with them? You might not raise your hand, but it might be on social media. It might be on Facebook. It might be a comment or whatever. But there's bullies. Every, and listen, there's going to be bullies in every area of your life. There's bullies in school. There's bullies in the workplace. You wouldn't believe this, some of you, but there's even bullies in church. <laughs> Amen. That need to have a correct estimate of their self. That we're nothing and he is everything. We look at somebody, they might not have as much as we do. Maybe, maybe, maybe they've had something going on in their life. We're no better than they are. And we better be poor in spirit. Can I get a witness right there? When you think about this, lessons that will guide our living. And you can't do that unless the Lord is living inside of you. He's got to be ruling. He's got to be reigning on your heart's door. But here's the problem. We like to rule and reign on our little throne. We like to rule and reign on our little heart. We need to give it to God. And when you do, oh, yes, friend, you'll become poor in spirit. You'll have a correct estimate of yourself. But Jesus 
in, in these four areas, the first thing he dealt with was ourselves. It ain't been that long ago. I preached on a self-aholic. There's a lot of self-aholics around. And folks, it's something that, that progress. You say, man, I, and nobody really wants to admit they got a problem there. But and a lot of them can't even, you know, think about this pride and arrogancy is the only sickness that makes everybody sick except the person that has it. Everybody get that? Pride and arrogancy, Brother Travis, is the only thing that makes everybody sicker except the person that has that pride and that rich spirit. It's all about me, myself, and I. Never with an eye toward others. Listen, the Lord said we need to have that correct estimate of ourselves, and there's a, this is a lesson that will guide our living. If we want to make a positive difference in this world. We're going to have to forget about ourselves, Amen. We're going to have to focus on the Lord and on the lives of others. God put us here to serve. Remember? Remember the word joy? That word blessed? That word blessed there has that exceeding joy. And it has nothing to do with outward circumstances. But think about joy. Remember J-O-Y? That's the order. Jesus first, others second, and yourselves last. That's the order. You want joy? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's how you can become blessed. You'll never be able to do that if you're rich in spirit. But the Lord said we need to, this attitude toward ourselves. We need to make sure we're poor in spirit. But then he dealt with sin. Notice what the Bible said in verse number 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is talking about mourn. I believe this has to do with sin. Not being sorry that you got caught, but sorry and remorseful. We could say repentant and remorseful for, for the sin that, that we've committed. I mean, that's why Jesus went to the cross was for my stinking sin, for your stinking sin. You say, well, I hadn't robbed a bank. I hadn't done this. I hadn't done that and all. But listen, the Bible still said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That covers everybody. There's only been one perfect man in this world, and his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to be perfect to pay my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the world. But you and I have got to understand this principle about sin. We need to see sin as God sees sin. I, I remember this, and I often think about Sister Pam when I think about Psalm 38. And I never will forget, and I hope she don't mind me saying this, that, that Friday morning they called, and I was still living in Wilkes, and, and her Brother Adrian said she's just afraid she's going to die and go to hell. So I had the privilege to go down there and let her to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many years ago that was. That's before I even came uh, to be pastor down here. But she, she took me to Psalm 38. She said, preacher, for the first time in my life, now listen to this, this might help somebody. She said, for the first time in my life, she said, I understand what this is talking about. And I want you to listen to these words. This is what she read, and this is God's word. Psalm 38, verse 1, it has to do with our sin and how we see sin as God sees that sin. If you want to be blessed, you want to be overseeding with joy, over, over, overspread with joy, He's got to live inside of you. And when he lives inside of you and he's ruling on your heart and, and on the throne of your life, man, you'll see sin as he said. But listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 38 and verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thine hand presseth me sore. Verse 3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. My sin, not my neighbor, not my brother, not my sister, not my children, not my husband, not my wife, not my neighbor, but me, Lord. There's no soundness in my bones because of 
my sin. You get to the point when you mourn over that sin, man, I'm going to tell you, you're going to make a difference in somebody else's life. You ever get to the point where you feel like you arrive and you don't sin, your children don't sin, and uh, you're, you know, your family's perfect, everybody else is not? Man, I'm going to tell you, you you're going you're to fall off a wagon. You, you ain't going to draw people to you. You're going to push people away. Amen. Lessons that will guide our living. has to do with ourself. We're to be poor in spirit. has to do with sin. We ought to mourn over that sin because that's why Jesus went to the cross was because of me, was because of you. And we've got to accept that for what? It is not only that, but he dealt with the attitude toward the Savior. Not only did he deal with the attitude toward ourself, we ought to be poor in spirit, not high uh, and lifted up and exalted over somebody else. I mean, the ground's level at the foot of the cross, and that's exactly right. But then he said that we ought to deal with, with, with uh, how we deal with sin. We ought to mourn, and we'll be comforted. But notice when he starts dealing with, with the things about the Savior, we looked at this the other day. Look at verse 5. We really didn't look at this, but look at what it said. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness. A lot of folks look and they say, well, somebody's meek, and that's a sign of weakness. Oh, no. Meekness is not a sign of weakness. Meekness is a sign of strength. There's two fellows in the Bible that the Bible said they were meek. You say, well, who are they, preacher? Number one was Moses. Moses was not a weak man. I mean, God chose him to lead that rebellious crowd, uh, and he was in there for 40 years it, it, there in, in the wilderness. And think about that. He, he was a stern man. He come down off that mountain as he was guiding young Joshua. He would be the, the, the heir apparent, the one that would be, would be coming on behind the scene. But think about what the Bible said in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So when you think about meekness, meekness is not sissified. It's not to be a sissy. Meekness is a sign of strength. Moses was meek. Tell you somebody else that was meek, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was meek. How do you know? Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. That word meek. In its origin, and the original is derived from this meaning. It's derived from a horse that's been broken. You know, we I took Christy on a last night. We had a, a just a, one of those day trips. I mean, we left like one o'clock, brother Kevin. Drove to Pigeon Forge because I knew Christy loves the Christmas show at the Dixie Stand. Well, it's not the Dixie Stand. It'll always be the Dixie Stampede to me, but. Uh, the Dolly Stampede, they call it. So we drove up there and drove all the way back last night. Got home, Sister Jenny, about 12 o'clock. So it's about, man, I'm telling you, I'm living on caffeine. I got a lot of caffeine in me tonight. I just got a lot of energy. But I'll say this all those horses running around, I mean, they were some, there was some girl, and I don't know how they did that. I mean, that's beyond me. Uh, one foot on one horse's back, another foot on the other horse's back, and she's jumping through fire hoops and everything else. And, uh, but you had the reins. The reins on those horses. She couldn't have just went out somewhere and got a wild stallion and took him in that. That horse had to be trained. Think about how much more powerful a horse is than you and I, strength-wise. And you think about meekness, what it really is, it's power under control. Now, chew on that just a minute. Meekness in its original definition 
has to do with a horse that's been broken. Now, that horse at any time could do his own, sort of like an elephant. They tell me that when the circus, remember when Ringling Brothers Circus used to be around, I don't know, it's been gone for a long time, we'd go down there and we'd watch them big old elephants. Those big old elephants, they would, they, they would have a rope tied around their neck, Brother Travis, and they would be a tent stake standing over here, and they would tie that little rope around that pole. That elephant wouldn't move. Why is that? Because when that elephant's real, real little, they said the trainers would train them, and they would, they would tie a rope to a cinder block, and that little elephant couldn't pull it. And as that little elephant grew, Brother Randy, he didn't realize his own strength, and he never forgot it. So they could tie him to whatever, and he was afraid that he could, although he had power, it was restrained. And boy, you think about meekness, it is power under control. Every one of us, and this is why I make this statement sometimes, don't ever say, I'll never do that, because you don't know what you're capable of. A lot of times the reason we don't do things that we, that, that we don't need to be doing is because somebody's living inside of us. It is power under control. And that meekness that is needed, Jesus had it. Moses had it. And we see that. And he said that you and I ought to be meek. Well, think about this, not only that, we, we looked at that, they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness in verse number 6. That has to do with our appetite and our desire. All of that is toward our Savior. Now, the first one, we're dealing with self. Second, I mean, we're, we're to be poor in spirit, not high-minded. We're to mourn, to have a proper respect about our sin, my sin, and your sin. We've got to own it for what it is. But then we've got to have a right respect toward our Savior. We ought to be meek as the Lord Jesus is meek as Moses was a meek man, power under control, like a broken horse. That's what we ought to be. We ought to be meek and we ought to be mild. Hey, there's people all around us are slipping out every day, Brother Dennis, going to a devil's hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. Their only hope may be me, their only hope may be you. We better be what God's called us to be, and we better get this thing about the lessons that'll guide our living. Man, it'll change your life when you let Him rule every aspect of your life and you get self under control, you get sin under control, and then you focus on the Savior. You're meek, you got the proper appetite, you're hungry and you're thirsting after righteousness, but we ain't done. Notice verse number seven. Blessed are the merciful. There's the requirement. For they shall obtain mercy. You know, Ephesians 2 talks about this. I'll hit this quickly. Verse number 4, that one phrase, but God. Boy, where would we be but God? I mean, it talks about us dead and trespassing sins in Ephesians 2 and verse number 1. But he's quickened us. He made us alive. How was that possible? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace to in his kindness toward us throughout all or through Christ Jesus in the ages to come we are going to be pictures and trophies of grace and of his mercy now I did not deserve mercy you did not deserve mercy I did not deserve grace you did not deserve grace and then God said that we are blessed are the merciful now do remember the difference between mercy and grace there is a difference between the two God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. But God's mercy is this. He don't give us what we do deserve. 
He don't give us what we deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve pain. We deserve a place called hell, eternal punishment. But mercy stepped in. He's merciful to us. But how many times, now listen carefully now, because we all made out of the same stuff. How many times things come our way, somebody hurts us, somebody says something to us, somebody does something to us. And our first thought is, man, you punch me in the mouth, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. You hit me in the eye, I'm going to hit you in the eye. If you knock my tooth out, I'm going to knock your tooth out. And eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's our mentality. But the Lord said, blessed are the merciful. Now remember what mercy is. God gives us what we don't deserve. A lot of folks don't, they say, preacher, they, somebody done this to me, somebody done, listen, I, it's our responsibility to extend mercy. Hey, Amen. Well, I don't, they don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it either. <laughs> Tell you, man, it's lessons that'll guide, our, it'll guide our lives, but too many people are so wrapped up and engraved in their self. It's all about me, myself, and I. They don't even care about anybody else. It's all about me. Somebody rocked my little world. Somebody messed up my little ship, and now I'm going to get even with them. I'm going to hold a grudge for the rest of my life, man. I've got an axe to grind, and I'm going to grind it. That's the mentality of a lot of people, but we're to extend. Listen, as mercy has been extended to us, we ought to be a channel to extend that mercy unto others. Amen. Let's move on. Look at verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. There's a requirement. Well, what's the reward? For they shall see God. Now listen, you want to live a filthy life? Listen, I know we've got young people in here, and you, you may get in the back corner, and you may get to cussing and using God's name in vain. You may be running with a crowd, smoking dope, drinking alcohol, and doing whatever there is that you do. You live in a dirty life, you'll never see God. Everybody understand me? You'll never see God. The Bible said in verse number 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's purity. that you ought to remain pure. Again, the greatest gift you can ever give to your spouse on the wedding day is purity. I don't have to go much further than to say that. Amen. I don't have to elaborate on that. Just understand, be pure in heart. You know, Acts 15, verse number 9, and Peter was addressing the apostles and the elders, they were discussing and disputing about the Gentiles being saved. And this is what Peter told them in Acts 15, 9. And the Lord put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. How do we get pure? We get pure through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to have that pureness of our, in our lives. Again, verse number 8, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In and of ourself, I've told you numerous times, Jeremiah chapter number 17, worst advice you'll ever get anybody, give anybody, just follow your heart. Worst advice you'll ever give anybody. The Bible said, Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, you better get them to follow the Word of God. Word of God will never lead you astray. Your heart will lead you astray. You get emotions involved, and that'll lead you astray. But you can trust the Word of God. You can trust the Spirit of God. And God will lead you in a path you need to go. But listen, when it comes to purity, man, we ought to be pure in heart. And he's got to live in us. He's got to have rule and reign in our lives. It's lessons that will guide our living. Sort of like those fellows that blew it up there in Elkin. That first scrimmage, man, they fell apart. But two years later, they worked on those issues. You say, preacher, I have a truck. And this is this is thing. A lot of folks have a hard time admitting, you know, preacher, I, you know, I, I have a hard time. I'm rich in spirit. You don't hear many people saying that. Well, I deal with pride, preacher. People don't say that much. Pride's one, one of the things that God hates. 
The Bible still said Proverbs 16, 18, pride, that go, uh, pride go up before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is bad. You've got to deal with that. Have that poor in spirit. Man, you've got to deal with, with sin and mourn. That whatever that sin that you're going to do that's against what God has told us to do, it breaks the heart of God. It ought to break our heart. And say, Lord, it ain't, it ain't my neighbor's sin. It's my sin. We ought to mourn. Be remorseful and be repentant. Don't just be sorry that you got caught. Be sorry for your sin. Then our right relationship and attitude with our Savior, we ought to be meek. We ought to hunger and thirst after us. We ought to be merciful. It's been extended to us. We ought to extend it to others. We ought to have purity in our heart. In our life, but look at this next in verse number 9. I'm going to try to wrap this up. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers. You know, the Bible said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing, nothing, listen now, there's nothing like the peace of God. To know that there's nothing between you and and the Savior. That's wonderful to know that your sins have been forgiven. But you know what else is good? Is to have that peace with your brother. Have that peace with your sister. So when you come to the house of God, you ain't thinking about somebody else. You're thinking about the Lord. Amen. And we're to be peacemakers. Just like I said a while ago, uh, you know, in, in the school, you, you deal with bullies in the school and workplace, even in the church. Same holds true. There's some folks that, that have got that are labeled this way. Some folks just love drama. I mean, they're always in the middle of something. I mean, just always, always in the middle of drama or conflict. And, man, I hate that stuff. I, I despise that stuff. Conflicts and drama, all this, always something. And it's, if you ever noticed that most time there's a common denominator, most time it's not like, well, I mean, I'll use Sister Janet. Boy, Sister Janet might just whoop me. I've never had one issue. Sister, as long as I've been here, Sister Janet's never been, never been one of those that just been characterized with drama or conflict. Now, I use her as an example. I could use others. But then there's other folks. There's always conflict. There's always drama. And, and it's, it's been like that when I was at Friendship, when I was at Mount Sinai, when I've been here. And it seemed like there's a common denominator. You know what we ought to be? We ought to be peacemakers. Amen. Why is that? Well, we'll be called the children of God. God wants to make peace with us. We ought to want to make peace with others. Amen and amen. What I'm trying to say is we've been given peace. We should make peace in return. I understand. That's why the Bible puts that one verse in there. I believe it's over in the book of Romans. As much as life in you live peaceably with all men. I mean, there's some folks, man, you can give them pacifiers, you can give them suckers, you can give them candy, and, and man, they still they just, just never satisfied. They, they, just, they, they thrive on that drama. They thrive on that conflict. Man, God hates that stuff. And uh, I believe we ought to do the same. We ought to be peacemakers. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you this last. I'm done. How, what's the attitude we ought to have toward ourselves? They ought to be poor in spirit, not high-minded. What should be our attitude toward our sin? We ought to mourn, ought to be repentant and remorseful. What should be our attitude toward the Savior? We ought to be meek. Again, that power under control. We ought to hunger and thirst after righteousness, that desire and that or that appetite. And we ought to be merciful. He's extended mercy to us, and we didn't deserve it. We ought to extend mercy to those that don't deserve it as well. We ought to be pure in heart. We ought to be peacemakers. We ought to channel mercy, purity, and peace. We think about society. I think about this last one. Look at verse number 10. 
He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse number 11 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I made this statement already and I'll say it again. The Lord put this in here for a reason. What should be our attitude toward the crowd that persecutes us? Because if you live godly, you better remember what Timothy said over there in 2 Timothy. Yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You say, Preacher, I'm a child of God and I had not faced much persecution we might not be living a godly life you live a godly righteous life to the best of your ability he's living in you you're gonna ruffle some feathers along the way amen you're gonna face some persecution how are you gonna deal with that he lays it out he said you're gonna be blessed he said blessed when men revile you and persecute you uh, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake and then he give us this in verse 12 he said simply rejoice I'll be honest with you, it's hard to rejoice sometimes, Brother Travis. It's good to rejoice when everybody's, you know, everybody's happy as can be. Man, somebody get to gouging you with a, with a goat or with a, with a stick or something. Somebody said, sometimes it's hard to rejoice. But the Lord said, hey, keep things in the eternal perspective. Sometimes we see this little temporal tunnel vision, the temporal perspective. We need to look at the eternal perspective. When these things happen, it's inevitable for the child of God. The Lord Jesus lives inside of you. You're, you're sticking out everywhere. You're going to rub some fellows or some folks wrong. Then verse 12, he said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. As we deal with society, and uh, I've never seen the culture in which, uh, I, mean, I guess, nobody else has either. Sister Savannah's coming. It's a lot different now. It's just I made that statement a while ago about it used to be called the Dixie Stampede. I mean, they change everything. They, they want to change the, the, the you know, like the, uh, the military bases, the names. I mean, you can't change history. You can't do it. And we live in a politically, I mean, in, incorrectness and correct society. And, man, you've got to say the right thing, this, that, and that. You're going to face some persecution along the way. What are we supposed to do? You just keep on reading down verse number 13. The very next words that said, he starts talking about this. He said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is sent forth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. He said, where we're salt. Then he said in verse 14, he said, you're the lie of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and giveth light unto all that are in the house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You see, we're not to be salt and to be light, so somebody can go, blow a trumpet for you and I. They're supposed to see a difference in us, so they'll give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to to shed the light that, hey, man, this is real. Hey, the Christian life's real. They ain't nothing better than being saved. Amen. I mean, there ain't no better life than knowing Christ you're going to still have struggles. You're still going to have problems. But listen, you've you got to quit looking through that tunnel vision temple. You've got to have that eternal perspective. Let's make a positive difference in the lives of others. And we'll do that in these lessons that will guide us. But here's the key. That song we sung a while ago, He lives in me. It's going to take Him. Again, Jesus said, John 15, 5, Without me ye can do nothing. We're all a work in progress, every one of us. And some of those chips, somebody said, how long have you and Christy been married? And I said, well, it'll be 27 years, 27 years in February. I just about got all the rough edges knocked off of her, brother, just about. Now, I say that jokingly, 
But you know what? It's a process of time, the Christian life. And we all got some rough edges. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. We're a work in progress. But I want him to have every aspect of my life. Is there any area in your life? You said, Lord, it's off limits. No, no, no. You, you can have this area. You can have this area in my life. But, Lord, you stay out of my dating life. Stay out of my work life. Stay out of my business life. Stay out of my social media life. <laughs> he wants every aspect of our life. You want to make a difference? You really want to make a difference? These lessons that will guide you. Tells us what we ought to think of ourselves. Poor in spirit. Don't be high-minded. Just by the grace of God, we wouldn't in a worse shape than somebody else. How we should see our sin, we ought to mourn. Thank God, I want to be comforted. I want you to be comforted. But you're going to have to see sin as God sees sin. What about the Savior? Man, we've got to be meek. Power under control. Merciful. Peacemakers. Pure. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You want to be filled, man? Go after it. Ask God. Any man lack wisdom, let him ask to God. Give it to all men liberally. James 1 lets us know that. We've got to have that proper respect or perspective toward the Savior. But then society, people are going to revile you. People are going to say things falsely about you. You've got to press on with the eternal perspective and rejoice, knowing that you've got a great reward in heaven. One day as we stand all over the house, let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege opportunity one more time to preach your truth. Lord, I've done my very best, Lord, to, to, to empty myself of the message of the hour. God, I need help in these areas. And Lord, every one of us under the sound of my voice, we all made out of that same wicked stuff. We struggle in a lot of these areas probably we dealt with. Lord, somebody's probably dealing with being merciful. Somebody's dealing with trying to be a peacemaker. Somebody needs some meekness. Somebody needs to be poor in spirit. Somebody needs to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness, not unrighteousness. Lord, all these areas we've looked at, somebody needs a proper perspective about their sin. See it as you do, Lord. I pray above all, if there's one listening tonight and never been saved, they don't know that you live inside of them. I pray that tonight be a good night. Somebody gives their heart and life to Jesus. Lord, help our light to shine. Help us to be the salt of the earth. Help us to make a positive difference, Lord, I beg and I plead. Help us to be honest to what your word says, and we'll give you thanks for we ask it in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service. And every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. 
Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. You might say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness 
and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.